Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. It's about me, I'm so fresh and so clean I'm the best thing that you ever seen Cause I'm killing it I'm great I'm killing it I'm awesome I'm killing it It ain't about you, it's about me I'm so fresh and so clean I'm the best thing that you ever seen Cause I'm killing it I'm killing it I'm killing it Welcome to Liquid, everybody. Glad you're here for the start of our series, Killing It. And uh, we need to put our hands together. We have to welcome, we have brothers and sisters who are joining us in New Brunswick, in Mountainside, and Nutley. And watch this, soon to be Somerset County in Garwood. Would you welcome them? Glad you guys are with us today, or if you're joining us online. So uh, the series, Killing It, is really all about the big P, the giant P in our life uh, that's inside of my life, it's inside of your life. The P is what keeps uh, me from celebrating your successes or elevating mine or, or it causes me to say, I don't want to apologize even though I know you're right. We all struggle with the P. Does anyone know what the P stands for? It's, oh, a lot of you know. Someone said potential. It's not potential, okay? That's all right. That's very positive thinking. Um, I'm going to give you a list of kind of keeps you froms and, you, you know, causes you to see if you can guess. The big P is really the thing in your life that keeps you from initiating an apology even when you know you're 90% wrong, you know? The big P is what keeps you from arguing your point, just leaning in after the fact that you realize you don't really have a very good point. You keep arguing anyway because you don't want to concede it. It keeps you from admitting you lost. The giant P keeps you from admitting any weakness. It keeps you from admitting you need help. The, the giant P actually blocks you from being honest with yourself or being honest with other people because you, you never really can learn anything new when you want everybody to think you always know the answer and when you really don't. And the big P can get ugly. This is the ugly part. The big P is what causes you to feel good when other people fail. You ever watch fail videos? That's why you laughed at the bumper uh, there because you like that, you know. It's what causes, listen, the big P is what causes you to power up against somebody uh, who disagrees when you really actually should be opening up. It's what causes you to kind of lie about your past, that your GPA was bigger than it was, kind of stretch the truth about your first, you know, failed marriage or, or the fact that you never really graduated. See, the big P demands that you always have the final word. And listen, if you're a fashionista, the big P is what causes you to buy things to impress people 
who aren't even really paying attention to you. <laughs> now, do you know what the big P stands for? Let's say it together. Ready? Pride. That's what we're going to be talking about, killing it. That's what the series is about. P, the giant P, pride in our life that keeps us separated from each other and at arm's length from God. A lot of times we stiff arm God without knowing it. Now, let me clarify because this pride is not the kind of pride where like, hey, I'm proud of my kids, you know, or I'm proud of my photography or you're proud of your, your company or something. This isn't the healthy pride, you know, that like inspires people or celebrates others' talents. This is the darker pride. The thing inside of you and me that C.S. Lewis described in this famous statement, I love this, he said, the essential vice, the utmost evil is capital P, pride, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to every other vice. In mere Christianity, um, Lewis noted that pride is the original sin that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. It's the original sin that got Adam and Eve, your parents, my parents, kicked out of the garden. It's the voice inside that says, hey, you could actually you know, be like God. You deserve to be recognized. You deserve to be esteemed or exalted, even worshipped. Here's a selfie stick. Take a picture yourself. You're that good. You're killing it. You're killing it. You know, The early church fathers and mothers, this is kind of interesting, they would always capitalize pride with a capital P because they said it's the mother of all sins. They said pride is pregnant with all the other sins. So for instance, wrath, why do you, wrath, why do you get angry, right? What, you get angry when you don't get your way. Pride is pregnant, it's the mother of lust. Why? why, because only when you consider others beneath you do you take advantage of them. Pride is the root of all sins. And as sons and daughters of Adam, it's in you, it is in me. And you may be the victim of the big P in a relationship at work or in your family where someone is domineering, you know, where they can't even ever admit, you know, when they're wrong. But my guess is that you've probably dished it out a bunch too. Because here's the thing about the giant P. It's very easy to see in others, but you can rarely see it in yourself. And if you spot it, you got it, okay? Which means there's probably people in your life who are victims of your pride. Even if you're not like loud and brash and arrogant, because a lot of folks think that's what pride is. Like, oh, it's just this overt arrogance. And you may even be sitting here and saying, oh, this series isn't for me. You know, I'm not like an arrogant jerk. I don't really have a pride problem. That's pride, okay? That's pride. So, so understand, pride is sneaky. It's very sneaky. It's invisible. It's ugly. And it's in all of us. So a couple of weeks, we're going to learn how to kill it. That's what this series is about. Killing it. Let's all say it together. Ready? Killing it. I appreciate it. Someone goes, killing it. You even did the voice. All right. Specifically, we're going to learn how to kill pride with a blunt force instrument known as the cross. Okay? Because the cross is where the humility of God was put on display most vividly in the life of Jesus Christ. And Anybody who has really killed pride, ripped it up by the roots in their life, they know that the big P has to be crucified with Christ if you're going to be raised to a new life of humble, loving service to God and others. That's what you were designed for. In Proverbs 16:18, uh, God made this promise. He said, um, pride goes before destruction, a haughty or arrogant spirit before a fall. I saw a great illustration of this on Sports Center. They're playing this clip over and over. There are these guys at a college track meet, and it's kind of like a running competition between like elite college sprinters. And in the men's race, this runner from Oregon, he's leading the pack. He thinks he has it all locked up. He's just about at the finish line. But just before he gets there, he kind of, he's like, I'm killing it. He starts egging on the crowd, like, look at me, I'm killing it. You may have seen what happened next. Watch this. Take my word for it. There's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. 
He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can, and you know, you see his face, and you know no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. <laughs> he'll, he'll never make that mistake again because it's been viewed 50 million times on YouTube, <laughs> right? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before what? A fall, and sometimes literally. And this is kind of ironic, right? Because pride, the promise is, is that pride's going to make you bigger and badder and greater and grander, and people are going to look at you. But in reality, pride makes you smaller. Pride actually diminishes you. If you're taking notes, this is the first kind of fill in the blank. We got some notes for you. Um, pride does not make you bigger and better in other people's eyes. It actually makes you smaller and meaner. It just diminishes you. Not in sports, but in everyday life, at home, at work, or relationships, Specifically, pride diminishes your capacity, your capacity to admit what you need to admit, to acknowledge things that you need to acknowledge, and to give, and even apologies, to apologize when you need to apologize. I mean, we have all had that emotional moment, right, when we know we need to say something to someone we love, right? And she's over there, and she's working in the kitchen, and you're sitting at the counter, you're like, man, I know I should go over there and apologize, and you know you should, and you, but you just can't. You're like, I want to say, no, 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 I can't do it. There's just battle going on inside, Right? Or he's over there and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I know I should just go over and break this and say, honey, I was wrong to say that, you know, but I don't want him to think it's okay, you know, the way he treated me and he's got to own his part first. That's the big P, okay? Or if you're in a debate or a disagreement with someone at work and, and like a coworker or a friend is like kind of coming back at you with a different opinion or and you make a point, but then they make a, po they make a point and you know they actually make a lot more logic than you and they've kind of trumped you and you know you should stand out, but there's something in you you're like, yeah, well, you know what? And then you just you keep going, you lean in, right? Now, listen, let me tell you something about this message, okay? This is one of those messages where you're going to be tempted to elbow somebody next to you, okay? I see some of you doing it already. Tuck them in. Tuck your elbows in, okay? This is not a chicken wing uh, thing here. Don't start, don't start winging it, okay, ladies, all right? You, you know this, though, right? I'm sorry. That's prideful. Don't, don't clap. That's fine. You can't. Right? You know this, right? It's like, it's funny. It's, it's so emotional, isn't it? It's like there are these layers and layers of emotion in our lives, and it's difficult to say what needs to be said. That's the thing. Pride just kind of zips your lips. Some of you, there are people in your life who love you. They look up to you. They're dying for one positive word, just one affirmation, just one compliment, just to walk over there and say to someone three levels down at work, hey, you're doing an amazing job. You're actually killing it, you know? Or to say to your son or daughter, your niece or your nephew, you know what, I am so proud of you, you know? I, or just walk up to somebody at work and compliment them. You know you need to. It's in your heart. But you can't just bring yourself to say what needs to be said because pride zips our lips. Not only that, you can't hear what needs to be heard. There are people close to you who are trying to get through to you. They're trying to be intimate. They're trying to get close to you. But they can't get past the big P. Your pride's in the way. The, 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 their, their words just bounce off. They even say that, oh, my words bounce off. He's like bulletproof. He won't listen. Don't do this. Don't do this, all right? That's what pride does. It diminishes our ability to hear what needs to be heard and to give what needs to be given. Maybe you need to give credit to someone else, you know? But you just can't, you know? Speaking of which, I'd like to give credit to Andy Stanley, all right, for this, this sermon series. It's important for me, for my pride, to let you know I'm not the only one who has ideas around here. Giving credit in my world... It helps keep my pride in check. But the question for you is, what do you need to give? What do you need to give? Maybe you need to give a word of apology that lets somebody know you take your responsibility for the, your role in the situation. 
but you have a hard time opening your mouth because pride is just that big. It's just that controlling. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like a lot of us, we hand pride the remote control of our lives. And many of us have done this without knowing us. We hand pride the remote. And the big P is what starts calling the shots in your closest relationships. That's why when we know we need to, you know, we need to humble ourselves, you know, we start walking over and say, I need to just tell them. And people say, whoa, 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 hit the pause button. I'm not watching that. No, 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 no. We're not doing that, you know? Or, or you get up and you move towards someone with humility and you get halfway there and I'm going to compliment them. They go, pause, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, don't do that. They'll get a big head. So instead of a compliment, you give them a compliment, but you put a little barb or a little hook or a little pinprick at the end of your comment, right? It's like you want to praise them, but for some reason, you just got to attach this little bit of criticism to let them know there's room for improvement. And we put, don't do this, don't, don't do this, all right? And we poison the relationship. And you walk away and you're like, gosh, what is wrong with me? It's because somewhere along the way, you handed pride the remote control of your life. Pride has diminished your capacity to say what needs to be said, to hear what needs to be heard, and to give what needs to be given. And worst of all, the big P diminishes your capacity to live a life of loving, humble service that God designed you for. You were designed to bring glory to God and to serve others. And pride and arrogance are just the opposite of love and humility. That's why the Lord says in Proverbs 8, he, he, he says these words. He says, I, what's this word? Hate pride and arrogance. Now, when God says hate, you can underline it in the Bible, okay? God does not use this word a lot because by nature, God's a lover. God is not a hater, okay? God is this radical, generous, humble, loving father who loves all of his children, and he steps over so much in our lives, right? But God is like, as a father, he's like, I, this one thing, this big P will ruin your life. It will stunt your potential like nothing else. And I put up with a lot of my kids, but I hate pride. And so I want to ask you to hand me the remote. Come on. Pass it over. Give daddy the remote, okay? And let my spirit soften your heart so that you can let others in. And this is liberating. Even if you aren't a follower of Jesus, this is very liberating. This is what gives life meaning. Because it goes without saying that pride crowds others out. When you are full of you, there is zero room for anybody else. And what's worse, everyone knows it except you. There are people in some of your life who feel pressed up against the wall at work, you know, by you. Oh, here he comes. Or pressed up against, you know, the wall at home, you know. They walk on eggshells around you because they know that the least little thing, it's going to create some sort of conflict. You're going to blow up or you're just going to get silent, you know. You're just going to be quiet, judge, you know, or be silently passive aggressive or, or just plain old aggressive. <laughs> and people are scared to death because when the big P is in charge, there's no room for anybody else in the locker room <laughs> except you. And here's what's worse of all. The Bible says that my pride, that your pride, has the potential not just to crowd others out, but to crowd out God as well. Pride crowds out God. In Psalm 10, written by King David, he says this, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, let's read this together, there is no room for God. In fact, the Hebrew is there is no God. It actually says that in Hebrew. And the idea is that a man or a woman who's full of pride say, you know what? I actually am the center of the universe. <laughs> and there's no sense in me moving out of the center of the universe in my world because there's no God to fill the gap, <laughs> right? So I might as well be the center. People can orbit around me. People exist to serve my needs, not the other way around. And that's a dangerous way to think because essentially in your heart, you're saying, I'm taking the place of God. And we say people like that have a huge 
ego. You've heard that phrase, ego, before. It was first coined in 1923 by Sigmund Freud, right? He used it to describe the, the part of a person's, like, psyche that's self-aware. But now, we use it in culture just to talk about people who are, like, super self-absorbed, self right? You've all heard people say, like, oh, you know, she's on, a, she's on an ego trip, you know? She's bridezilla. She's getting married. Stay out of her way, you know? She's on an ego trip, right? Or I work for, oh, man, I work for an egomaniac. Oh, I know. He's such a narcissist, you know? Or be careful what you say to him. You know, he has a very, he's a very fragile ego. She has a bruised ego. Well, let me give you a spiritual definition of ego. From God's perspective, ego is that inner urge we all have to edge God out. Can you say that? Edge God out. Instead of turning over the remote to God and saying, I exist to serve you. I exist to serve others, not the other way around. We assume we're in control of life. And this is, if you're a high-capacity person, you know, you live and work in New Jersey or New York, and you're executive type, and you're, you know, self-made man, this is very insidious. Because we look at what we have, and we say, anything I have is a result of, you know, my intellect, my hard work, all these things. We take credit for it. And we conceal our failures. You never show people weakness, because they will think less of you. So we only spotlight our successes or, or highlight our, our, our strengths. And this is so, this is so sneaky, so sneaky. When pride is in charge of your life, we all have these different justifications for it, you know? You may be sitting here and you might be like, well, you know, dude, I'm just confident. I'm naturally confident. That's, I just tell people what I think. I'm a truth teller. And pride would just say, no, actually, you're arrogant. <laughs> you're not confident. Or you may be sitting here and saying, well, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm just sarcastic, you know? I'm a 20-something. I have an ironic sense of humor. No, the Bible calls it a critical spirit, okay? Pride is sneaky, it masquerades as all sorts of things. In fact, I know there are some of you sitting here and saying, well, this doesn't describe me because I'm actually quiet. I never speak up or get up in people's grill. I'm an introvert. I, don't, I never like take risks. I don't put myself out there. That may not be because you're humble. It may be pride because you're like, I don't want to look bad in front of other people. See, there are plenty of timid Christians who are prideful because you fear men or looking bad, so you never speak up. You never actually step out. See, pride is sneaky. You think you're fooling others, but the Bible says you're actually only fooling yourself. That's what Brian Williams learned about his own ego, which the NBC news anchor blamed for exaggerating news reports. You may, you may remember Williams was flying in a helicopter in Iraq when his convoy was struck by a uh, rocket-propelled grenade. And at first, when Williams reported a story, he said the helicopter convoy was hit by a grenade. He started retelling it on David Letterman and Jimmy Fallon, and he just tweaked it. He said, I was flying in a helicopter that got hit by, you know, a, a grenade. He dropped one word, convoy, put himself a little bit closer to the actions to see a little bit more heroic. And combat veterans called him out. They're like, sorry, bro, didn't see you in the copter, you know? And it ignited this media firestorm. It's like, did Williams lie? Did he exaggerate? Did he just get mixed up? Because he, 30 years, he's been telling the, the news. He's a man of integrity, devoted husband, father, all of that. Well, he gets suspended for five months, and last week, he came out of hiding to do a sit-down interview with Matt Lauer. It was fascinating to watch. You should watch it online. What caused Brian Williams to squander his credibility? His answer, ego. What have these past five months been like for you? Uh, it has been um, torture. Uh, looking back, it has been absolutely necessary. In his first interview since being suspended as anchor of NBC Nightly News, Brian Williams told Matt Lauer on Today he's sorry. He didn't purposely mislead anyone, but he knows now some of the stories he told were inaccurate. Looking back, it had to have been ego that made me 
think I had to be sharper, funnier, uh, quicker uh, than anybody else. Uh, put myself closer to the action having been at the action in the beginning. The interview comes following a six-month internal investigation after it was uncovered that Williams exaggerated his experiences covering the Iraq war. The network determined he had stretched the truth on numerous occasions. Lester Holt will take over the Nightly News anchor chair permanently, while Williams will be demoted to anchoring breaking news and special reports on MSNBC. I mean, that's, a that's a story for our times, right? I mean, you can't judge because it's like, hey, we all exaggerate. I mean, I, I'm a preacher. I'm a storyteller, right? You always kind of tell the story bigger than it is. And Williams is like, I've, I spent five months and I realized it's something darker. It's this ego, this urge to make myself, did you see this, sound smarter, funnier, quicker, wittier, closer to the action. He said, actually better than the person I really am. That's the dark power of ego when we edge God out and steal glory for ourselves. And God's like, it is a hard issue. When you edge God out in your thoughts and your words and your actions, and you don't even see it, it's a blind spot. And your heavenly father is like, will you, will you hand me the remote, at least for this series? Would you be open to the possibility that I have a better way for you to live? A lighter, more honest, more vulnerable way to live. And, and, and where people don't just um, respect you, they actually love you because you no longer care about just being right. You care about doing the right thing and loving people in the right way. See, killing it is an invitation to put the ego monster back in his cage and hand the remote to your father in heaven. Because pride's a prison. It's a prison that locks us in and edges God out. But how do we do this practically speaking? How do we hand this remote to God and take, uh, ask him to take his proper place in our lives? How do we kind of right-size our relationships so they're not overshadowed by the giant P? You're holding the answer in your hands. We gave you a Bible today, and the Bible tells us that an invitation to follow Jesus is actually an invitation to unfollow pride. Jesus Christ taught, modeled, demonstrated a radically liberating version of humility, an approach to humility that actually takes the remote control out of pride's hands, and it can transform your relationships with those closest to you. We're going to look at Philippians 2 here. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote actually to uh, brand new Christians living in Philippi, kind of Greek and Roman Christians. And Paul wrote these words. He said, in light of what Jesus has done, he says, in your relationships with one another, so the way that you interact with each other, have the what? Say it together. The same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? To be a Christian? It means you have the same mindset. You take the same approach to life. You adopt the same mentality that Jesus had in his interactions with people, which begs the question, okay, well, what is the mindset of Jesus? Nothing short of revolutionary. Jesus said, I'm God, but I am gentle and humble in heart. Humble? In the first century world, humility was not a virtue, okay? We live in the selfie stick culture. First century had nothing on us, okay? In the first century, the ancient world was all about bringing honor to your family. There was this religious and political pecking order where great people did great things and they got celebrated. And if you're sick, it's because God's mad at you and he lets bad things happen to people who kind of have bad karma. And we, a lot of people think that today. But it was all about bringing honor you know, to yourself and to your family and your clan. And so this idea of like humbling yourself, putting yourself beneath people, what? That was repulsive. Humility was the stuff of slaves, not respected rabbis. 
enter Jesus, who turns the whole thing upside down. He told his followers, the greatest among you, the greatest, ready, will be your, what's the word? Servant. For those who exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. And those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. In other words, everything you know is wrong. <laughs> everything the way the world operates, our family relationships, our work, it's all wrong. It's all upside down. True greatness in God's eyes is measured in terms of service. The way that your heavenly father defines greatness is by how well you put the needs of others ahead of yourself. Not getting others to do for you, but Jesus says, I'm going to turn the whole thing upside down. And I'll turn your world upside down if you start following me. So, so if you, when I get in an argument with my wife, okay, and, and we've, we've had a couple, uh, and, you know, and I get flooded with all this emotion, you know, and I don't want to admit to Colleen, like, you know what, you're right. I don't want to take responsibility to say, you know, I'm sorry, because I think she was right, but only about 60% right, you know, and like 60 versus 40, and I'm like, you know, we got to close that gap. I start, I start doing the math, you know, and all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, greatness isn't about defending who I think I am. It's about being humble. It's about putting her needs ahead of my own. Wait, wait a minute, pride. You are actually robbing me from, from an act of greatness, the way Jesus at least defines greatness in humble, loving service to those I love. Jesus says greatness is putting her deal ahead of my deal. The humble will be exalted. Can you trust me for that? He also said these words. He said, blessed are the who? The meek, for they will inherit the earth. And let me tell you something. This is one verse nobody memorizes in America. Okay? In America, nobody even knows what this means. Like the meek, like what, what, is, what is meek? You know, no, no parent is like, okay, kids, go out there today and I want, on the soccer field, I want you to be meek. You know? I'm going to work, I'm going to the job interview, man, I'm going to be meek. You know? What? Meek is, meek is like gentle. Meek is, meek is weak. You know, meek is for freaks. Who wants to be meek? And Jesus is like, I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, meek is the new black. I'm telling you, the, the meek, the meek have got it going on. He says, the meek shall inherit the earth. And I don't even really know what that means. But I think it means, in some respects, there's, Jesus is saying there's a reward beyond this life for those who are willing to gently lean in and not shy away, actually, from the strong. Those who actually are powerful, but they don't force their will on others, but they take a posture that's actually gentle and deferential in their dealings. And they put others ahead of themselves. Really? Yep, makes the new black, according to Jesus. And to demonstrate this, you know what Jesus did? Scripture says Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And we've heard this story a thousand times, right? I mean, if you grew up in the church, culturally, you know, we just, we just we read this and we miss the emotion and the smell and the stink of this, okay? Pastor Mike's wearing flip-flops this morning. I looked at his feet and I was like, woo, you know, kind of, you cannot miss this, okay? Sorry, that was prideful, but true. Jesus... Listen, listen, Je look, Jesus is the Holy One. He's the only man in history to walk flawlessly before God. He's without sin. He's without stain. These are the hands. Put it up on the screen. These are the hands that have healed people. These are the hands that have raised the dead. And the power of God flows through his hands. And with his final meal, what does he do? He gets down and he washes his disciples' feet. He says, this is what I do for my followers. The greatest among men becomes the servant of all. And then he says this, now that I, your Lord and teacher, next slide, have washed your feet, you also should what? Wash one another's feet. 
well, is that literal or is that a metaphor? I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In other words, now that I have shown you the heart of God, nothing is beneath your Savior. Let nothing be beneath you. The greatest among you, the greatest among the followers of Jesus will be servant of all. Take that pride. Boom. Hand over the remote. This is how people will know the spirit of Jesus is alive in you. You get down to serve and love and get close to those beneath you. You know, I saw a beautiful example of this with Pope Francis, who I think intuitively understands the power of humility. You have all these examples like in the media of, you know, how pride trips people up. But Pope Francis kind of gets this. Again, I don't, whatever your background, Catholic, um, he's an incredible guy. This is a picture of him um, on last Easter Sunday in Vatican City. He had hundreds of thousands of people there, you know, for Easter. He's the, he's the Pope. He's, you know, a billion Christians. And he actually is driving along in his Pope mobile. He says, stop, stop the parade. And he gets out and he says, that kid, eight-year-old boy named Dominic, who is in a wheelchair with cerebral palsy. And he says, just every, stop, bring him, bring him. And they brought him forward. And he said, I, no, no, I don't just want to bless him. Bring him forward. And he took him up in his arms and he kissed him on the mouth. And this kid, Dominic, just went you know, nuts. He kind of you know, didn't have control of his limbs. He was kind of spastic, hugging the Pope, and he held him for two minutes. And I remember seeing this on CNN. And the commentators, like, didn't even have a word for it. What do you do when you're the most powerful person and throw on a parade and you're at the head of it? You stop it. <laughs> and, and you hold up the weakest member. He does this all the time. There's a picture here of him kissing the feet of a child with leukemia. Why? Because that's his job description? No, because he's like, if I represent Jesus, then I'm going to do what Jesus would do, and I'm going to get down and kiss the feet of somebody who is not going to be long on this earth. He kissed Vinicio Riva. This is a 52-year-old man who kind of has that elephant man disease, massive facial tumors. He doesn't even go out in public because for him, it's just very hard. Well, let me show you the whole picture. And the Pope stopped and he said, I want you to bring him forward. And he not only blessed him, he kissed him, he hugged him, he cried, and he stayed with him and said, just stop everything, because this is what Jesus would do. Humility is the opposite of pride. It says, I'm actually going to go beneath and, and, and spend myself in the service of those who no one else notices. And this is so instructive. You don't have to be the Pope to be humble. This will change your work environment. If you're here today and you're like a high-capacity person, you're a business owner, or you're an executive, or you manage people, or you lead a team, and you may think like, well, you know, I'm not the pope. No, no, no. You have power, and you have influence, and you know what? Maybe you're the senior VP, but maybe you need to one day bring the interns coffee. Yeah? And you're like, what? Dude, I used to fetch coffee for years. I don't do that. Someone fetches coffee for me. Maybe you need to fetch them coffee this week. One of the most powerful things you can do to win the hearts of those you lead are do things that are obviously beneath you. The veteran takes the new guy out for lunch. The senior VP takes out, you know, brings the intern's coffee. Pride says, you know what? Nothing is beneath me. I'm telling you. Jesus introduced this upside-down, radical approach to humility that literally can transform every relationship in your life. It can cut through the emotional static that kind of holds us back or keeps God and others locked out. And you don't have to be the Pope to do this. Let me just ask you, what would it be like for you to wash the feet of your wife? What would that look like, All right? And you're looking at her and you're looking at her and she's like, well, she's got a manicure. I'm not, okay. Or what would it be like for you to wash the feet of your kids? I know, I know they're annoying and they're ankle biters and they're just, you know, like, what would that be like, all right? What would it be like for you to wash the feet 
of the people who work for you this week. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning. Jesus is like this, man, meek is the new black. <laughs> Leaders smell like feet. The greatest among you serves. Those are the three mindsets that Paul is reflecting on when he writes these words in Philippians. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself, what's the word here? Say it. Nothing by taking the very nature of a what? Servant. There it is again. Servant. How can I serve you? How can I put your needs ahead of my own needs? Oh. I mean, in a real-time way, in the kitchen, right? Oh, she's really, really mad at me this time, you know? Or he's really, really offended me. And pride says, oh, don't do it. Don't stoop to their level. But humility asks a very different question. It says, how can, how can I serve them? What? Yeah. How can I serve them? Serve them? They owe me an apology. I know, but you see, I'm going to actually follow Jesus, which means I unfollow pride. Because I know if I give Big P the remote, it's going to keep me locked up. It's going to keep them locked out. But I don't actually do that anymore because it never leads anywhere productive or good. The meek shall inherit the earth. So I'm going to be gentle. And I'm going to serve them. Wait a minute, though. Wait, 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 wait. We'll pause. They're your enemy, you know? They, they're the guy who screwed you at work. You know, I know, I know. Jesus talked about this too. <laughs> he said to love your enemies, to do good to those who screw you. <laughs> so how can I serve Jesus the way that he served me? Guys, it's radical. It's a radical approach to humility that kills pride. Paul says he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Watch this. And being found in appearance as a man. He came down. God put skin on. How humiliating. He what? Humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a what? On a cross. In other words, Jesus comes to earth and he says, I'm going to choose to receive what I don't deserve. I'm not going to take actually what's rightfully mine. I am the sinless son of God. What's rightfully mine? Um, the throne of heaven. Heaven's my throne. But I haven't come here to sit on a throne, but to die on a cross. To set free men and women who are consumed by pride and sin and selfishness. I'm going down to them. I'm going to become one of them. That's what the incarnation is. To show us God's love, the Father sends the Son. The Son says, I'll humble myself, and I'm going to show them what love truly is. I mean, this is mind-bending for God to come up with a plan like this. You know, I don't know how exactly it went down, but I'm imagining like Father and Son, they're in heaven, you know? And the father's like, these, these guys, they're never going to make it up to us. Their pride is too strong. P has the remote. G, son, you're going to have to go down to them. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll go. Father, I'm, a, I'm submissive. I will go if you want me to. And the father knows they're not going to accept his son. They're going to kill him. Because Jesus is so, what's the word? Meek. But son, I want you to go anyway. And you know what? They're not, they're not even going to... They're not even going to receive you. They're going to take advantage of you. They're going to walk all over you. But we have to initiate love to repair the relationship. Why does Jesus leave his Father in heaven to live with man on earth? Because the most significant thing that Jesus did, the pinnacle, the epicenter, the aha moment, was that Jesus initiated reconciliation. He takes the first step. He bridges the relationship between God and sinful man. He says, actually, you're the ones in the wrong, but I'm coming to you to forgive. If you have a relation, so if you have a relationship right now where there's a gap in your life, think about it. There was someone who's hurt you, they've offended you, they've betrayed you. 
Pride says, whoa, whoa, don't go to them. Pause, pause, no. Wait for them to come to you. They got to make the first move. They were the one wrong. Make them call you first. Don't, you don't initiate reconciliation. That's weak. Meek is for, you know, freaks. Wait for the apology. They should come to your office. They got to bow down. They got to kiss the ring. They got to start the conversation. <laughs> but Jesus is like, no, 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 that's your pride. Now give me the remote. Give me the remote. Give me the remote. And you go over there. You initiate reconciliation. Kapow! Take that, pride. You got to understand, if you're not even a follower of Jesus, guys, this will change your life. This is a mind-bending, relationship-mending type of humility. If you follow Jesus in just this one area, it has the power to break the grip of pride that keeps you locked in and the people you love the most at arm's distance. I want you to think of it this way. Pride says, wait. Jesus says, initiate. Okay, like that? It's a cute little rhyme. Let's say this together. Ready? Pride says, wait. Jesus says, initiate. One more time. Pride says, wait. Jesus says, initiate. Pride says, before you go there, hit the pause. You know, I don't know. She was kind of wrong. I got it. You know what? This is how we do it as Christians. We say, you know what? I, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm praying about it. I got it. Would you pray for me? Okay. That's, that, if you're not a Christian, this is what Christians do. This is what we do when we don't want to obey. Okay. We say, uh, you know what? I think, I'm, you know, I'm just, I just need to pray about it first. Half the time, I'm, I'm just honest. I'm sorry. I've been in a lot of prayer meetings with Christians. Uh, Half the time when people are like, Pastor Tim, would you pray for me about this, you know, with the reconciliation issue or something? I'm like, dude, no, I'm not going to pray for you. Just go do it, okay? Like, here's my cell phone. You call her. Call her right now. This is what you need to do. Some things you don't even need to pray. <laughs> it's just like you need to do it. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're, you're smart enough to get this. If this was your approach to relationships, there's almost nothing that could not be mended. There's almost nothing that could not be healed. Your marriage would be better off. Your family would be better off. Your kids would be better off. Your coworkers would be better off. You know why? Because you would have broken through this static, this layer upon layer of emotion that keeps you from saying what needs to be said, hearing what needs to be heard, and giving what needs to be given. Well, I don't know. I don't, you don't know where I work, man. It's super high pressure. People don't respect me. How, I don't know how far you should go with this. How far should you go? How far did Jesus go? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on what? A cross. He died on a cross, and all he wants you to do is apologize. Jesus dies on a cross, and all he wants you to do is shut up. <laughs> Sometimes, you know? Gosh! All he wants you to do is say, I am, I am sorry, honey. All he wants you to do is to walk up to him and just say, you know, I need you to ask, for, I, need, I have to ask forgiveness for my part in this, you know? All he wants you to do is get coffee for the interns. And you're like, I don't know if I can do that. Then you have not understood the lengths that your Savior went through to forgive you, to initiate reconciliation with your Father in heaven. And you will not experience the pride-breaking power of that kind of humility. See, the Bible says only the cross can break the power of pride in your life. Only the cross. This is not behavior modification. It's crucifixion, okay? It's crucifixion. The cr now listen, the cross is common in today's culture. I see some of you are wearing a cross around your neck. You got a tattoo on your arm or something like that. And so it's lost its meaning. But in the first century, there was nothing more humiliating than a Roman cross. It was an execution device reserved for slaves and for criminals. What they would do is they would whip you. They'd scourge you with a leather whip with metal and bone in it, tear you apart. And then you actually had to carry your cross on your back to a public place. And people would hurl insults. They'd throw rocks, they'd spit on you, very humiliating, and they'd lead you to the top of the hill, and then they'd rip your clothes off. They'd strip you naked in front of everybody. 
just to be the most humiliating possible, where you would deal with hours, sometimes days, of excruciating pain and then death by suffocation. So understand the cross was not just humbling, it was humiliating. And yet that's what the followers of Jesus watched their Lord do. The greatest man they'd ever known, the only person who lived the perfect life in all of history is brought to the place of humiliation, the lowest place the Romans could invent, death on a cross. And then Jesus says, okay, you want to be my follower? Take up your cross and what? Follow me. In other words, to follow Christ means death to self. It's death by crucifixion, death to selfie. It's saying, I'm going to crucify my pride. Humility is cruciform. And that's the invitation that God extends to every believer. He says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And your attitude, your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Can I ask you this question? Last question, then I'm done. Last question. Which of these is more powerful in your life right now, today? Okay? Don't answer for the person next to you. Don't be like, eh, you know, she's <laughs> this is free. Which of these is more powerful? Is it the pride of life? Or is the cross of Christ? Just be honest. Reflect back on your week. Think about your relationships. If it is, it's like, ah, I haven't given the remote to pride. My question is this. How much longer do you plan to let pride hold the remote in your relationships? A month? year? The rest of your life? Wouldn't you just love to walk out of here today and say, I am killing it with a cross? I am getting off the throne. I am no longer God, and Christ is getting on the throne of my life. Pride, you are not my master. Pride, you are not my bae. Pride, you are not my boyfriend. I am breaking up with you. We are done. It is over, and I am going over there, and I am going to apologize. You know what happens? Kapow! Gotcha, pride. What happens? Your pride dies a little. You are killing it with the cross. Would you do that today? Instead of actually letting pride kill you, you finally kill it. Amen? Drive a cross through it. Swallow your pride. Humble yourself. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you become a Christian. You just humble yourself. You say, oh, there's all this crap in my heart, and this is pride, and the sin is, ah, oh, it's describing me. Ah, the cross is for you. The cross is for you. We're going to celebrate right now with communion. We're going to receive communion today. And I just want to be super clear about this, because communion is for people who are following Christ. But that doesn't mean exclusionary. It's like everybody should follow Jesus. And if you're like, I don't really know. I don't know, understand everything in the Bible. Neither do I. But you can follow Jesus anyway. If you're wondering how to become a follower of Jesus, it is as simple as ABC. I want to be very clear about this. A simply means you admit your sin. Ego problem is really a sin problem. That's all that is. Just acknowledge, you know what? That's me. <laughs> there's pride in my heart. I don't even want to say it. There it is. There's anger. There's lust. There's jealousy. We all have ego, right? This desire to edge God out. And then B, you believe in Jesus. And what I mean by believe in Jesus, not just like he existed, he was a good person, but that he was the son of God who lived the perfect life you were supposed to live. And that's why he died the death that you deserved. And when he died on the cross, he gives you his righteousness. And now he repairs the relationship with you and your heavenly father. You get adopted into the family of God. The father says, come on in. And then you commit to follow him. You give God the remote. You actually say, Jesus, here it is. Go, I'm going to follow you. That's the ABCs of how you become a Christian, of how you become a follower of Jesus Christ. You just swallow your pride. You humble yourself at the cross. So I want to give you a chance to do that now before communion. Would you bow your heads with me, all of our campuses? I want to pray for us right now. Father God, thank you so much. I think of the song, Wonderful Cross. Love so amazing, so divine. 
We pour contempt on all of our pride. God, when we look in the mirror, there's a lot that we don't like. But Father God, you didn't come just to wash feet. You came to wash hearts clean with the blood of Jesus. Father, I thank you right now for every man and woman who has heard the Holy Spirit speak to them today. God, that's you convicting. That's you speaking. That's you nudging. That's you whispering and saying, come to me. Come on, just leave that stuff with me. And Father God, I pray right now for people who are going to have the courage and the humility to invite Jesus into their life for the first time. Again, with all heads bowed, if you're here today and you're like, I need to make this personal. I need to invite Christ into my life. I need to hand God the remote. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I just want simple words, and you just pray those words after me. In fact, I'd like everybody to pray them out loud just so nobody feels awkward, okay? So let's pray these words together. Just say out loud, Father, I admit I'm a sinner. Father, I admit I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus is a Savior. But I believe Jesus is a Savior. I turn from my sin. I confess my pride. Come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. I commit to follow Jesus. Father God, even right now, as people are confessing, as people are coming to you, only you know the sincerity of people's prayers. God, I pray, though, for people who are making this personal right now, that your Holy Spirit would testify to that in their heart. And as they come forward to this communion table, they would realize this is the body of Christ broken for them, the blood of Jesus shed for sinners like me. Father God, thank you so much for the scandal of grace and humility. And Father God, I pray that we would be a humble church, that we'd use our power and influence to serve those who are on the margins, as your son did. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you are inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.